The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Upps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by an Impact Fee technician who lists their favourite movie as A Nightmare on Elm Street and favourite TV show as Golden Girls. Welcome back to the show, Karina Maybe. Hello, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is. It is wine o'clock. That's all I care about. I was about to say that. No matter what time it is, it's wine time. It is wine o'clock. I'm not mad about it. What is that jumper? My sweatshirt. It's a jumper, but... It's a sweatshirt, and it's a friend's sweatshirt. I thought it looked like a friend's shirt. I'm trying to pivot in the frame right now, okay? How is life? Life is spectacular. I've been working on decorating my cubicle. Hard at work. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, it's cool. I can't talk to you about it though because you don't know anything about my movie. So that's an episode for another time. But commentary with just no. Jamie Apps has never seen Christmas Vacation, one of the best Christmas movies to ever exist, and I'm really, really disappointed. Eh, I'm fine with it. It's it's fine. It's we're changing it. Don't worry. If I had to watch Top Gun for the first time this year, you're watching Christmas Vacation for the first time. Oh boy. Okay. So we were invaded by a child. Which is okay because today we are digging into the archives and refreshing our memory on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as we prepare for the upcoming release of Wonka. Yes. Not to the Wonka, but yes, to the old one. Well, from the early reviews that have come out from the world premiere, it's apparently not too bad. Apparently pretty good. Mm-hmm. But today we are watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which was released in 1971. Starring Gene Wilder as the titular Candyman, Willy Wonka. This is a musical fantasy film based on the 1964 novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. And the story follows a incredibly poor child, Charlie Bucket, who upon finding a golden ticket in a chocolate bar, wins the chance to visit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, along with four other children from all around the world. Before we dig into various bits and pieces that we have as notes when did you first watch this movie and what is your sort of recollection of it before we go into the rewatch i've been watching this movie religiously probably off and on whenever i want since i was like three four maybe i don't know um my grandmother introduced me to it it was a staple in my mom's life when she was like younger i mean it came out in you said the 70s so i mean my mom watched it as like a a teen but yeah no it was i was brought up on this movie along with a lot of other classic musicals in the world so this shaped my childhood and it's probably why i'm so fucking weird yeah i guess but yeah i'm I'm the same like i i don't remember when the first time i watched this was but i've definitely watched it like multiple times since like there was definitely periods where it was pretty much a yearly thing you'd watch or more sometimes (laughs) willy wonka in the chocolate factory 
Yeah, I mean, I brought my daughter up on it. Like, she has seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but she is the same way I am, where this is the only Willy Wonka movie in her library, because it is a classic staple. And it was just fantastic. Gene Wilder is fantastic in general. So anything with him is a gold star for me. Yeah, only when we finished our rewatch of this, I watched Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that was a mistake. That was a big mistake. Yeah. Yeah, you wasted like two hours of your life for no damn reason. Yeah, that's not a good one. But also, like, according to Roald Dahl, this one is not a good one. Right. Which is weird. This one was loved by audiences. Oh, mm, mm, was it? Okay, I like to think it was loved by audiences because I loved it so much and everybody in my life has loved it so much, but... Yeah, not initially. So they made this for a budget of $3 million, which obviously at that time in the 1970s was an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. It only made $4 million in the box office. So like it was kind of a failure. A flop. Yeah, it was a flop. The cinemas, but then it was with like no sort of home movies at the time as well. Like VHS, I don't believe, were out at that time. So it was kind of like. If you didn't see it in the cinema, the only way you got to watch this was to see it on TV. Right. And then from what I was reading, when it initially came to TV, one of the first times it was on, I think it was NBC in the US, mm-hmm. it was supposed to come on after a college football game, which then went into extra time and ran an extra 40 minutes. So then instead of just starting the movie 40 minutes late. Oh my God. They did it 40 minutes in. The movie was 40 minutes in. Oh my God. So you missed everything. It was pretty much finished because this movie isn't that long. It's like 90 minutes long. Yeah. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. So it was pretty much at the midway point. God. Like they would have already been at the chocolate factory and missed like the whole Willy Wonka introduction, which I think is one of the most special parts of the movie. Yeah, that's that's bonkers to me. Like, I, I've never had to go through that whole, like, let's wait till it comes on TV moment because I've just always had it. I had it on VHS and I've had it on DVD now for like the longest time. So, yeah, now it's on, I think here in Australia, it's on like three streaming platforms. Like, it's super widely available. And it's like, it went from like a cult classic of only specific people liked it to now. It's weird if someone hasn't seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it is kind of strange because I feel like anytime you mention it, most people, majority of people think of this one. But there are a few that you come across and they're like, no, it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm like, no, no, it is not. That is the book and the really crappy movie. Um (laughs) I occasionally say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, meaning this one. Yeah. Because that's what the book's called. Mm Mm-hmm. The movie is about Charlie going to the chocolate factory, so it probably should be Charlie in the chocolate factory, not Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Yeah. Which kind of plays into why Roald Dahl isn't a fan of this interpretation of his book, because there was a bunch of rewrites by the director David Seltzer and Mel Stewart, which Roald Dahl didn't approve. Oops. When you're adapting someone's book, probably should get approval for them to from them if you want to do some rewrites. Yeah, just it. So he essentially disowned the film and was infuriated by the plot deviations. He considered the music to be saccharine, sappy, and sentimental. <laughs> and he was disappointed that the film placed too much emphasis on Willy Wonka and not enough on Charlie, which that one I don't really see 
like the complaint. Like, I feel like in this movie, they're pretty much equals. Yeah, because they do a lot of backstory on Charlie. You see his life and his like home life and the way he's brought up versus like the other children that are involved. And then you also get, you know, Wonka. So I feel like it was a really good balance. But I mean, you know, to each their own. I'm sure he was just kind of pissed because his book essentially did not get the film adaptation that he wanted so badly originally. Yeah, like I think this one, you get all of the backstory on Charlie. So you have you have a connection to him. You want him to like get to the chocolate factory. And then even when they are there and we're sort of getting a bit more of the focus does shift a little bit more to Willy Wonka and his wackiness and the wackiness of the factory. Right. We're still seeing it through sort of the lens of Charlie and how he's interpreting what these kids are doing and what the craziness of this factory is all about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like an unfair assessment of the film to say that one outweighed the other because I don't feel like they've done. Yeah. Like I, I understand him being disappointed with the rewrite, rewrites, not being a fan of the music. Like it is very like cheesy, happy-go-lucky music. There's no, apart from that one yeah. song that is like very dark and disturbing on the boat. That boat scene. We'll get to that. And then the, his other big complaint was for casting of Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka because Roald Dahl wanted Spike Milligan to get the role. I don't know who that is, but I also didn't do any research on this movie. He's another actor of the period. Oh, okay. Gene Wilder is fucking godsend. That movie would not be what it is today if it weren't for Gene Wilder. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like most people associate Gene Wilder with like funny, quirky kind of characters anyway. So, you know, it just kind of falls into place of what his normal kind of roles are. Since the movie came out, it was nominated for Best Original Score at the 44th Academy Awards. Obviously didn't win that one. Uh, and then it won Best Performance in a Comedy or Musical by Gene Wilder at the 29th Golden Globes. So I think that goes to prove that they made the right choice in the casting. Yeah, yeah, you can't go wrong with him, honestly. So then the other like couple of production notes I had were... Do you know where the external shots for the factory were filmed and what that building actually was? No. It really honestly looks like Germany, but I know it's not. No, it is. Oh, is it really? Oh, I was going to say, it looks very Germany-esque. It was filmed in Munich between August and November of 1970. The external shots of the factory were filmed at the Gasworks Stadwerker München and the entrance and side buildings of like where we go into the um, chocolate factory, mm -hmm. those buildings still exist to, to this day. Really? If you go to Munich, you can go to Willem's chocolate factory and get a photo outside. That's kind of cool. I never really guess right when it comes to those kind of things. But yeah, the outside structures reminded me just of, of architecture in Germany. So that's kind of fun. Yep. Uh, and then the, uh, the three-course bubblegum machine was originally <laughs> supposed to be just like a big solid machine there wasn't supposed to be all the weird wacky elements on it yeah but the director requested that the appliance had a more visual experience for the audience so they put all the weird like bloop bloop bits and pieces on it the robot arms and then he also instructed them to have all the props furniture and fittings including the light bulbs in Willy Wonka's office to be cut in half to reflect the yeah. character's eccentricity. Like, he just didn't want it to be boring. He basically, his quote was, 
I couldn't face the thought of ending the journey through this fabulous factory in just an ordinary looking office. Which makes sense. It would have been weird to go from this wacky factory with a chocolate river and mm-hmm. the whole place is edible. Yeah. And then you go to a just a, a boring room with a desk. Yeah. I always loved that when I was like younger. I was just like, that is the coolest thing. Like half a statue, half a piece of paper. It's super cool. Talking about the edible uh, elements inside the factory, about a third of the props in the chocolate room were edible. There was a chocolate watermelon. The gumballs <laughs> were edible. The giant mushrooms were filled with whipped cream. Yes. The leaves on the trees were edible, but the giant gummy bears were plastic. Only the ears could be eaten. That's disappointing. So that's why we see. I think it's I think it's Mike TV bites into like the ear of one of them. Yes. That's disappointing because we have giant gummy bears. At least over here, we have the huge ones you can buy that are like that size. The wallpaper wasn't actually flavored, which doesn't Damn. really come as a shock to me. That's a letdown. <laughs> and then we see Willy Wonka pull the tea off the plant and drink the tea and then eat the cup. Yeah. That cup was not actually edible. It was made of wax. God damn it. So he had to chew on wax until the scene was finished and then spit it all out. And then they obviously would have filmed that multiple times. I was really hoping you were going to tell me it was like a caramel cup, like a cup made out of like caramel or like just sugar in general. Yep. Nope. It was wax. (laughs) That's really, because I remember telling you, I was like, I always wanted to have an edible teacup because of that stupid scene. Like, I always wanted an edible teacup growing up. Even Willie didn't have an edible teacup. He was just basically eating the candle. That's really disappointing. They could have even made it like the wax candies that they have, don't you? I don't, I don't eat wax candy, so I don't know if you actually eat that or not, but. I, I don't know. And then the Chocolate River was made of 150,000 gallons of water, real chocolate, and cream. But eventually they had to change that recipe because with the cream in it, it was turning and becoming like blood red. That's why it looked wonky. It began to smell and get really gross. Oh, that's gnarly. They had to just change. Okay, now we're just going to put food coloring in water because the cream is making this disgusting. Yeah, because it doesn't really, I've always thought that was really weird growing up. Like, it doesn't look like a pure chocolate river. It kind of looked rusty or like. It's way too runny. Yeah. Yeah. It's not thick. Like, if I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking of like a hot chocolate river where it's like thick and like luscious looking. And that just did not look appealing (laughs) ever. Yeah. I never looked at it and was like, oh yeah, that's definitely chocolate. I always looked at it as like, yeah, it just looks like gross water. Yeah. It was, yeah, gross, like sewer water. Poor old. Augustus, the actor for Augustus Gloop, Michael Bolner, he had to swim in that multiple times and he was like, yeah, it's stunk. Oh, that's so grody. Could you imagine like you getting all this fame and, and like money out of this film and you literally had to swim in like gnarly ass milk water? Mm-hmm. That's like rotten milk water. And the last production note I had was in Mr. Salt's Peanut Factory when they have all of the women rummaging through chocolate bars trying to find the golden ticket none of those chocolate bars were actually made of chocolate they were all just painted wood oh obviously much cheaper to just paint some slabs of wood than actually make chocolate bars yeah we mentioned the cast there was obviously a bunch gene wilder as willy wonka jack albertson as grandpa joe peter ostrom as charlie bucket which shockingly this was his only film role ever wow 
I mean, he owned it. Like, he will literally, he, he lived his life being Charlie Bucket. But that's, like, kind of sad to know that's literally the only thing you ever did on screen. Yep. He was offered a three-movie contract and turned it down because he wanted to keep his options open. <laughs> and never got any. And then after feeling underwhelmed at the premiere of this movie, he decided he was going to buy a horse and then went on to become a veterinarian. So I guess he did what he wanted to do. What a weird lifestyle change. Yeah, you could have probably been like one of those first major child actors to go on to do a bunch of movies. Because it was like just after that, like that's when the home video boom happened and Hollywood really took off and got crazy in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's bonkers. Like, I just, that's so strange to go from like such like a prominent role, like a lead character role at such a young age to being like, yeah, it's not for me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go be a vet. Like, I mean, that's cool, but so strange. And yeah, of, of all the children, only one actor is still acting, Julie Dawn Cole, who played Veruca Salt. All of the others was just a one-off thing. That's really interesting. Hmm. Very strange, but I guess each to their own. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was like a thing back in the day, like child stars just didn't really like have that kind of drive or maybe it was just like too much, like too political for them to really try and get involved in because it was just like your parents are kind of managing your life at that point um, and they maybe just weren't cut out for it. It just, I guess times have changed because now it's like everybody wants to have their five minutes of fame, whereas like back in the day, it was kind of just, I guess, another day in their life for them maybe. Yeah, and yeah, I think today like, Especially, like, even you look at the new Wonka movie coming up, like, if there's any children in that, it's, uh, I get the impression the parents are pushing them into that because it's like, hey, if we have a, a major child star, nobody in this family is ever going to have to work again. Yeah, which is kind of sad. Except for the poor kid. Yeah. And then the other note I had on the casting for this movie is it's all white people. I wasn't going to say it. It's definitely a sign of the times, like the 70s. It's yeah, entirely a white cast. I think even all of the Oompa Loompas are just white people painted orange. Okay. Yep. Which were apparently supposed to originally be painted black. Um. And they realized that was going to be bad. Let's not do that. Yeah. So, yeah, let's not do that. They were somewhat ahead of the times in the 70s. Yeah, that's just, wow. Like, imagine how poorly that would have aged. Terribly. This would not still be a massive, wide phenomenon cultural clash. They definitely wouldn't be, like, remaking it now or anything. That's for sure. They'd be like, let's throw that in the closet and pretend it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's got its flaws, obviously, but it's still, like, a beloved movie across the board for, I think, everybody that ever watches it. Absolutely. For me, it's, so far, I haven't seen Wonka yet, but at this point, it's far and away the best Willy Wonka movie. Yeah, you know, except for that Tom and Jerry one that you didn't want to watch. So then, as we dig into the movie itself. My first note here is haunting theme song. Like when you think about the, the theme song that plays when they go to the factory, like it is kind of haunting. Yeah. It sets the tone of something sinister is happening in here. Yeah. It's very, it's not recognizable unless you're really listening to it. And then it kind of like hits you last minute. You're just like, that was kind of strange. Like, hmm, not normal. So we open at Bill's candy shop which I just wrote down, that store has to be constantly losing money because he's just throwing candy around like it's nothing, like throwing lollies to everyone, like nobody's handing over cash. But then later in the movie, when Charlie goes there and buys a chocolate bar, he like starts eating it like a 
goddamn madman just shoving chunks of chocolate in his mouth. My God, yes. And then Bill's standing there tapping the bar like, you need to pay me for that. It's like, bro, you just you just threw out hundreds of dollars of lollies at the start of this movie and no one batted an eye. Now the poor kid who has no money, you're like, give me some cash. Yeah, he's probably just like, yo, you're going to you're gonna pay for that? Like, excuse me, you're going to try and steal that? What the fuck? Did you have any notes on the Bill's Candy Shop? I don't have any notes at all. Or any thoughts on Bill's Candy Shop? Oh, Bill's Candy Shop is... I wish that there were candy stores in the world like that, or at least over here like that. There's not a lot. We have one in like our like near my job actually. It's been there for like forever. But again, I don't have guys just throwing candy at all the kids in there. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of a letdown. Yeah, it's not like the local meetup spot. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was probably like an equivalent of like a soda fountain would have been over here. Um, we don't have. Uh, I don't think there's many, many of them lying around anymore, but that's the kind of um, environment that it reminded me of like a soda fountain where like people just go and like hang out and have milkshakes and shit. Yeah. It's kind of like what would now be like the mall or Macca's. Yeah. Something like that around those lines. Did you notice the like snafu with the choreography in this portion of the movie? No. Why? Did someone fall or almost fall or something? I feel like that might've happened. Kind of. So Bill comes out from behind the counter. He lifts up the, the counter door and leaves it open, goes off and does stuff, then comes back and it's back down. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then as he lifts it to go back in behind the counter, there's a girl with a white ribbon in her hair that's a little bit close <laughs> and just cops it in the bottom of the chin as he lifts it up. It's just like, Ugh. I never noticed that. Oh my God. Yeah, that's that's something if you're going to go back and rewatch this before Wonka comes out, like pay attention to the girl with the white ribbon in Bill's yeah, candy shop and watch her just almost get almost get knocked out. Oh my god. So yeah, that's that's a funny little mistake to spot in the movie. Yeah. And then yeah, that's where we first sort of meet Charlie and get a sense that uh he's different to all these other kids because he's stuck outside just like looking in longingly and he eventually has to go and do his paper route and that's where we get introduced to the creepy tinker who is like this creepy like butcher bloke knife sharpener who's just like wandering around town with a cart full of knives yeah you know what's so weird is so i hadn't seen this movie in a while like not since my not since chloe was like little um it's been a minute so the fact that like i never recognized what was in his cart uh this entire time growing up just kind of hit me like I, going through this whole film as an adult and like re-watching scenes i'm like how the fuck do they get away with some of this shit and then also like what the fuck kind of moments so yeah like the fact that that guy literally was walking around and he had like cart full of just like sharp metal objects just like ooh, talking to people and then he approaches young kids and and says some creepy shit to them i'm just like stranger danger <laughs> Yeah, I think this is the first point in the movie where you go, I thought this was a kid's movie and it was supposed to be like bright and airy and happy and fun. And then it's like all of a sudden it's really dark and menacing. You're like, what the hell happened? Where'd this come from? Yeah. And this movie has that throughout, like bright and airy. And then next second, terrifying. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, like I said, rewatching this as an adult and like, you know, obviously having more knowledge of things in the world, it is just very strange, like the amount of things that they've flip flopped on in this movie that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily pick up on originally. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, man. The whole movie is kind of disjointed in that way. Like, it's almost a movie in two halves. Like, we have this outside the factory 
sad childhood story of this kid that's like him and his family are incredibly poor. He has no father for some reason in this version. Like his father's just doesn't exist. Yeah, they don't mention him or anything. It's never like mentioned like, oh, he passed away or he left or anything. He died in the war or something. There's just nothing. Just no no dad. And then during that period, we're getting all of these weird interstitial parts of like, here's all the people, like the search for the tickets or people discovering their tickets and they're very weird and wacky. And apparently they filmed a bunch of them and some of them didn't hit. Some of them didn't even make it into the movie and then others did. And then at the halfway point, we go into the factory and it's a totally different movie. Again, it's more fantastical, more fun and thrilling, but then you'll get like kids are dying. Yeah. Willie is murdering children and nobody's saying a word. No. It's also very interesting to see how like it's almost like you step into a different world. Like they're showing you the difference between like reality versus like, you know, a carefree, almost like an imaginary kind of land or you know, environment. So it is a very interesting kind of like uh, balance between like real life and imagination in this film. And at the end of the movie, I wrote down a note too. Movies in the 70s and like back in the day, they just kind of end. Yeah, there's no like, there's no like full conclusion. Like it's just, it's just like a sudden like, oh, it's done. Yeah, it's very strange the way that they like left things. We hit the 90 minute mark, it counts as a movie now, we're done. Yeah, yeah. Back to sort of Charlie and his family. We go to their house. We meet his mum and grandparents. Who he has no father, but he seemingly has all four grandparents still alive, living together. Yep. All four of them have been bedridden for 20 years and are just in the same bed. I was like, this is weird. Yeah, it's a really strange kind of situation. Like, can't imagine sharing a bed with four people, especially because you're like crisscross, like up and down. So like. Yeah, top and, tops and tails. You know, you roll over in the middle of the night and you're like, oh shit, grab a Joe's pizza in my face. Hello. Yeah, especially for 20 years. Like, why are these people not able to get out of bed? Yeah, like at least try and get them up to exercise a little bit here and there. But poor mom's like working her ass off every day. And then Charlie's working too, which is child labor laws. I mean, is no one checking these things? 72 kids. I guess it was only, he was only like a paper boy. So it's not totally weird, but he's, he is very young and he is very young. Yeah. And they are incredibly poor because they are, they're not having cabbage soup. They're having cabbage water. It's like, ew. Yes. That sounds terrible. And the loaf of bread. Is considered a banquet. Yes. But somehow fucking Grandpa Joe still has his cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, we're drinking cabbage water and eating bread. Like, get off the smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Life choices, you know, decisions were made. And then I also noted, like, when Charlie does find the golden ticket, this motherfucker, Grandpa Joe, can't get out of bed for 20 years. All of a sudden, they get to go to the chocolate factory and he's jumping up around. I'm totally fine. He's like, I'm up, guys. It's time to go. Maybe if you pulled some of that, you could have been at work and we wouldn't be drinking cabbage water and eating a loaf of bread once every month. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Not at all. It was very, very strange. And Grandpa Joe's got some good dance moves for someone who's been bedridden for so damn long, dude. Yeah. It's during this period, too, where we sort of get an insight as to where the upcoming Timothy Chalamet wonker is going to be set to when Grandpa Joe talks about the factory used to be open. There used to be all these people like himself that were all working there. And then one day... Just close up. Wonka got, got annoyed with people like trying to steal his stuff, so he kicked everyone out and shut down for three years. 
and then all of a sudden it opened back up, but there was no staff. And that's obviously when we get, he finds the Oompa Loompas and they start helping him out. So it's in that three year period where the factory shut down and he obviously has to go and find the Oompa Loompas or make the Oompa Loompas or whatever. Yeah. That's the period where this upcoming Wonka movie is set because it's all about Willy Wonka finding the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Which will be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out. I'll hold my comments. I'm not keen for it, but that's okay. And one of the other weird interstitials we get before the first ticket is found is Charlotte's school in science class helping his science teacher make some weird concoction. Did they just make nitroglycerin in class and like almost blow up the school? Yeah, because, you know, that's safe back then. We just, we, pra- we have safe practices where we, we make kind of chemical bombs and stuff in our classrooms. To be fair, I blew up a rocket in my science class. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't make nitroglycerin, which could just blow up the entire school. That's true. I did not. Like he's mixing these things and he's talking about nitrogen and glycerin. I'm like, wait, that's a bomb. Why are we making bombs? And it was a very tiny explosion too. Like, I feel like. For the amount of liquid they poured in. It would have been way worse. And so it was just like, poof. I'm like, bro, no, that's not how that was going to work. Yeah. The other weird interstitials that I wrote down, the computer attempting to predict the next ticket location, but it refuses to cheat, even though the person offers it half of the chocolate. And the computer's like, what? I'm a computer. Why would I do with chocolate? Yeah. And looking back now, it's kind of like an early prediction on the AI uprising that we're seeing today. Yeah, it's not so far-fetched. I was like, that's actually not the craziest thing in the world. I also like how he just presses like three buttons to get the computer to talk to him. Like there's not like a mess of buttons. It's literally like three, three buttons. Yeah. It's it's not a, not a keyboard typing in a full like detailed prompt. It's like beep, 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 beep. Yeah. It's like a stenographer or something for like the chorus or something. <laughs> yeah. But I think by far and away, the best interstitial, the woman who is talking to the police about her husband being kidnapped. <laughs> your husband's life or your case of walker bars can i think it over <laughs> yes yeah, she's being blackmailed for a case of wonka bars as ransom for her husband and her answer is how long do i have to think about it yeah i'm like wow shows how invested everybody in this world is over these golden tickets i'm just saying you know candy bars are pretty important i, f- I feel like you would take the chocolate over me sometimes I mean, it depends on my mood and what you've done to me recently. <laughs> wow. So yeah, then we start to see the tickets being found and they, in order of when they're found and then also of when the children slowly start to make their demise, Augustus Gloop finds his first, Farouk Assault, Violet Beauregard, Mike TV, and then Charlie. I loved during the Farouk Assault one, her dad offers all of the women in the factory a one pound bonus for whoever finds it. Yeah, I don't know what that equates to, but I'm I'm guessing you have the math over there. I feel like it is not that that impressive, but it could be. It's not even worth much today. Oh, okay. One pound in 1971 is worth 17 pounds and 43 cents today. Oh, so it did not get that much value at all. Nope. Okay, so say it's 18 pounds. It is 35 Australian dollars. Oh, okay. That is like peanuts. <laughs> so that's what, 20 US? Yeah, that's about 20, yeah. $25 if we're being generous. Like, cool. Cheers, bro. That's like someone saying, here, we're going to throw you a pizza party. I think I'd take the pizza. <laughs> I'd take the pizza. That's that's a funny little moment. 
Yeah. I think one of the other keys to this too is Slugsworth is always there when these tickets are found. Yes. He's always been creepy too. He always creeped me out as a kid. But because he's always there, made me sort of ponder something. Oh boy. Were these children hand-selected by Willy Wonka? That's an interesting concept because, yeah, like how in the hell did he get like to Germany and to the U.S. and then like this place and that place? Yeah, they're not all in this one town. Yeah. They are all around the world, although there's no Asians, no Africans. There is one ticket found in South America, the fifth ticket before Charlie actually gets his. By some old dude. Which turns out to be a fake, but... Slugsworth isn't there for that one. It wasn't real. Which further emphasizes my idea that these children are hand-selected. This isn't a random order of kids. I mean, that is a good kind of presumption. They could have done that. I don't know. That's a really good way of looking at it, though, because you've got one that, like, doesn't stop fucking eating. You've, <laughs> you've got one who just looks like a spoiled fucking brat, one who's, like, constantly just, like, chewing gum, and then another one who never fucking listens and has constantly got his head on the TV. And then you have the one good kid. So, yeah, I mean, that's not too far-fetched, honestly. Yeah, like, when Augustus is picked, you sort of start to think, oh, maybe these are, like, supposed to, like, represent the seven deadly sins, but then it just kind of divulges into these are just brats, and then Charlie's the one good kid. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking, yeah, they're hand-selected, which in doing research, the director Mel Stewart initially wanted to reveal that Willy Wonka had strategically placed the tickets in order to give Charlie the factory. Mm -hmm. But then that idea was dropped because they thought it would be a bit too on the nose. Gotcha. But all of the hints are kind of still there, like Slugsworth and all of that sort of stuff. To be fair, out of all the shitty kids, Augustus was probably the most chill because all he wanted to do was fucking eat. <laughs> yeah, he's just fat kid. Leave the poor fat kid alone. Yeah, he wasn't really bratty. He was just hungry, like a little chonky. He reminded me of Snorlax in kid form. And you can't blame him because his dad is just the same. Like when they he find their the ticket, microphone. he just chomps the mic. And nobody references that. They just uh, just continue with the interview. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> he ate a mic. And then I also want to point out when Charlie is opening up his chocolate bar to find his golden ticket, this movie taught me how to eat. Like if you if you buy a chocolate bar that's like wrapped in foil and then has the like paper wrap on it, that's how I eat those. That's because you don't know how to eat a candy bar properly. Gently peel the paper open and then delicately unfold all of the foil so you don't tear anything. It's also how I open Christmas presents. Yes, you and I have a very different approach to things. When I want a fucking candy bar, I'm eating a fucking candy bar and I'm opening it up however savage way I can get my hands on it. Same thing with presents. Unless it's in a bag, it's getting torn the fuck open. <laughs> no, gotta be, gotta be gentle. That's also why my presents look wrapped as crap. Like, all my stuff has tons of tape on it because I wrap about as good as I unwrap things. <laughs> now that the kids all have their tickets, we go and meet Willy Wonka for the first time. And we immediately set the tone that we can't trust him because he walks out with this really emphasized limp and his cane gets stuck in one of the cobblestones. He takes another step and realizes, oh shit, where's my, where's my walking stick gone? And does the like tumble roll and then pops up like nothing happened and he's totally fine, which is um, a character trait that Gene Wilder wanted to put into the, the movie. So badly, in fact, that having that sequence was a condition of him accepting the role. 
Oh, damn. I didn't know that. That's funny. He was adamant that that be in there because from this time forward, no one will know whether Willy Wonka is telling the truth or not, which is exactly what it does. Yeah, that is true. That's interesting. I like that. Um, you forgot a very vital, important thing that happened prior to this uh, adventure is that Charlie Bucket's teacher cannot math and he's teaching the kids <laughs> math. <laughs> that is true. He cannot figure out what two Wonka bars is as a percentage of 100. Yeah, it's really bad. How am I supposed to figure out 2%? I don't know. You're teaching me math. Yeah, you're the teacher, bro. Dumbass. Who Wonka bars out of a thousand? Like, why are you doing percentages based on a thousand? Yeah, yeah. I don't understand how that's an average either. Like, average Wonka bar. Yeah, no. I think he's doing it on a thousand because, like, all of the other kids have had, like, hundreds. A hundred or fifty or whatever it was. Yeah. That was my favorite part. It was like, sounds like a local education system to me. That, and he's also decided that they're not going to do their pop quizzes on Friday after they've learned everything. We're going to do it on Monday before we teach you. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> their teacher's winning all over. Most chaotic teacher. Like, first we're going to make bombs, but we're going to test you on how to make the bombs before we teach you how to make the bombs. Yes. You're going to end up with a lot of dead kids, mate. <laughs> Back to Willie's tumble roll. All of the crowd reactions in that moment too are genuine reactions. Gene Wilder and the camera crew and the director were the only people who knew that he was going to do that. Oh, that's fun. None of the other actors knew that he was going to do this weird stumble roll and pop up like nothing happened. So all of those reactions are genuine reactions to him doing that. I like that. Which then also carries over to when the kids first go into the chocolate room with the chocolate river. Yeah. None of them were allowed to go into that room until they were filming that scene. So they got actual genuine reactions out of the kids. That's fantastic. I don't feel like you could have actually like taught somebody how to act that out. Like that had to have been a general reaction to, or a gen genuine reaction in order to get something so good on film. Especially from kids, like to get that authentic mm -hmm. sense of awe and wonder. I was like, yeah, that's definitely the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. We mentioned the Oompa Loompas earlier. What's your thoughts on the Oompa Loompa songs? I love the Oompa Loompas. And their songs. I don't care what anybody says. You can hate me for it. You can love me for it. It's fantastic. They're definitely better in this one than they are in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, these ones are fun, silly, and like they have soul. These ones have like soul to them. All the, the ones in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory just feel hollow and cheesy. Yeah. And I also appreciate that like they didn't, ha back in the day, they didn't depend so much on, and they didn't have the technology either, but they didn't have to depend on a ton of like visual stuff. Like it was all like, you know, real like props. Yeah, and genuine stuff, like, little people. They had to use. Yeah. And, and the fact that like they had to like use like, you know, the wheelbarrow to do things and they're using like, you know, real like levers with like trap doors to show things like that's fun whereas now it's kind of just like all green screen stuff so you kind of lose a little bit of that well in charlie and the chocolate factory there's one it's one oompa loompa just copied duplicated yeah they all look exactly the same whereas at least this one you have different sizes different shapes like they're all a little bit different which is cool which goes with that whole like he saved them from their from their their land and like you know brought them all there versus like in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory like you have one Oompa Loompa that, like, or all the Oompa Loompas look the same that doesn't make sense yeah they're basically clones yeah I like the whole like their own I love the like karaoke elements where it's like popping up some of the words and like very comic booky yes another little production thing that you might notice if you like pay close attention to this. 
a good portion of the Oompa Loompa cast didn't speak English at all. Okay. So, like, if you pay close attention, there are some in there that clearly don't know what the words to these songs are, <laughs> and they're just cr- trying to go along with it, and it's like, yeah, that's o- always fun to just, like, watch, like, oh, that guy, he doesn't speak English, he doesn't know what's happening here. Yeah, they just, like, stand there, and they just, like, boop. So we mentioned it earlier, one of probably the most memorable, aka scarring scenes of the movie, the boat ride through the tunnel, again with genuine reactions for everyone. They didn't know what Gene Wilder was going to do in this section, and he just gets more and more maniacal as the the song goes on. It's also the only song taken directly from the book, which is interesting. That is really weird. So uh, what do you think of the... Boat ride through the tunnel. I was really hoping we could skip this. I do not like the boat ride. It makes me uncomfortable to watch it. And it's not Gene Wilder at all. It is the lighting effects and the visuals that go into the tunnel that are extremely uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, like the, the flashing like faces that like pop up and disappear really quickly. It's like- the random stuff that like disappears. Like, I think there's like a bunny that gets killed or something or snapped in a, tri- in a snap or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of random, really uncomfortable things that are in that. And then just like watching this, I go, how the fuck did this get into a kid's movie? Like, it is terrifying. I guess you look back at kids' movies of like the 80s. Then. They were that kind of fucked up. Yeah, like, there's a lot of weird ones. Chitty Chitty Bang Bangs used to scare the shit out of me, and it still kind of does in certain spots. Like, even Bambi, like, that's a kid's movie, and they kill the main character, or the main character's mom, like, mom. five minutes it's in. It's crazy. It's heartbreaking. Why are we letting kids watch this? Yeah, so I do not like the boat scene. I always wanted a cool boat, but I did not want to go down the tunnel that went in with that boat. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say on that, because I do not like that scene at all. It makes me very uncomfortable. I think it makes everyone uncomfortable. And it's, yeah, it's those flashing elements of, like, really disturbing imagery where you're like, I just, I don't feel good. I don't, no, I don't want to be here. No. Plus, yeah, Jim Wilder is just getting louder and more maniacal. It's like, oh, okay, get me out of this tunnel. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, and growing up, like, in my head, growing up, I was like, is he really, like, a bad guy? Like, you know, I used to always think he was, like, a fucking villain at first instead of Slugworth, because I was just like, he's acting really fucking nuts. Like, maybe he is really bad. He's bonkers. He's batshit. Yeah. But, yeah, like, and, like, throughout the movie, five kids enter, one kid leaves, all the others maybe dead? They turned into Oompa Loompas. Augustus gets shot into the fudge room. Liquefied. Are they going to turn him into a marshmallow? No, no, that can't happen. That that tube goes to the fudge room, not the marsh, marshmallow room. He's so calm and collected about it. Like, I'll just take her, make sure that you're quiet about it, though. You know, look sharp. And then we, we continue through. I love the concoction that he's making, and he tosses in a couple of football boots because it gives a little bit of a kick. I was like, that's a Karina joke. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a, that's a me joke. That's always that's been my favorite joke out of that entire movie since I was younger. It it never fails. And then Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet. <laughs> One of my favorite lines for the movie, and she has to be juiced before she explodes. I have a blueberry for a daughter. Uh, and then yeah, Mike TV wants to be broadcast through TV. Funny moment, and his mum like says something, and Willy Wonka just goes, "Oh no, call the police! Help! Please stop!" Never get back. <laughs> um, Veruca goes down the chute to, um, she was a bad egg. Yep. 
is my favorite that is my favorite like kid disappearance is her whole spiel like i veruca has always been like my favorite horrible kid Mm -hmm. and then her dad just like chases her down into the in the furnace i'm coming Yeah, that's that moment she goes down and goes, where's that go? Oh, that just goes to the furnace. <laughs> but we only turned on on so many de- on these days. Today is Tuesday. Oh, you never know. Maybe they didn't turn it on today. It's like, what? Incinerated a kid? Yeah, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, all the others, like, yeah, maybe they survived. But she just got dropped into a furnace. I don't think she survived. Yeah, and Mike didn't really, like, die. He just turned tiny. Yeah, I don't know how you reverse that. <laughs> I don't know either, but I mean, you know, you never know. One of my favorite parts of this whole film, and I always thought it growing up that I could do that, was uh, the fuzzy lifting drinks. I I cannot tell you how many times growing up I thought if I drank enough fucking like ginger ale or something like that, that I could start floating. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to float too. It's like the Sprite Challenge or the multiple Sprite. There's two Sprite Challenges, actually. Is that like a new thing? I'm not up and up on the TikToks. So there's there's two Sprite challenges. The first one is drink a bottle of Sprite as fast as you can without burping. Okay. Impossible. People get like a quarter of the way through it and they're like, oh, I got to burp. Hmm. And then the other one, which is apparently much more disgusting and difficult, eat a banana and immediately follow it with as much Sprite as you can. That sounds like a horrible idea. Yeah, because the Sprite carbonation reacts with the bananas oh god so it just becomes even fizzier in your stomach that sounds like a bad time people do that one and, and generally throw up that's a good prank to play on someone you go hey, hey next time you see someone eating a banana go i got you a sprite oh my god no that's terrible that's god awful i don't know why kids do these challenges mm-hmm. so then we're getting towards the end of the movie there's one more moment that a scene plays out that Again, plays into the genuine reactions because Peter Ostrom as Charlie and Jack Albertson did not get to rehearse this particular scene with Gene Wilder because they wanted to get their genuine reactions in the office when Willy Wonka tells him, I know that you had that fizzy lifting drink, so because of that, you don't get the prize, even though you are the the final remaining kid. Right. During that scene, he like gets very angry and is like, loud and shouting and like so you get nothing yeah peter and jack had no idea that was coming they expected it to be much more like downplayed and subtle oh my god so like if you look at them like they are like taken aback and in kind shock. of shocked by it yeah. and it's because they actually were that's nuts i didn't know that but that's again that's another thing that like you had to have those kind of genuine reactions to get such great footage i think like, that's, that's what made that, though, is the emotion that kind of goes into certain parts of that movie. Yeah. You look at Willy Wonka in a Chocolate Factory now, and it's, I heard someone describe it as Willy Wonka is the jigsaw of the Chocolate Factory from Saw. But where's the lie? He's He's got all of these, like, crazy traps and tricks for all of it's these insane. bad people. And then, like, even the way the movie's produced, it's kind of like, it's kind of fucked up. Like, it's, you're torturing these actors by not actually let them rehearse these specific roles or not telling them like what to expect and then they're just getting yeah into this whole like emotional trauma and torture as they film like oh jesus that's insane and then yeah i mentioned like from there they go in the glass elevator and the movie ends it's like oh okay hard cut to credits yeah i also 
I like the buttons in the elevator where they go all over the damn place. Like, that was another, like, fun thing that, like, never, it was, like, unrealistic expectations of a fucking elevator for me. I've always wanted to, like, find an elevator with, like, a million and one buttons. Just sideways or forwards or backwards or whatever. Yeah. I love this movie. When you look at it with a more critical eye, like, there's there's definitely some issues, but it's fun. You just got to go into it and just enjoy it for what it is. A couple of fun trivia things that I wrote down. As they first go into the chocolate factory and they're like taking off their coats to put on the coat hangers, the the hands, they are the spray painted hands of five of the carpenters who are working on the movie. Oh, that's funny. I love that. It's got them to stick their hands through a wall and spray painted them gold. <laughs> and then uh, Willie has to enter a musical code to get into the chocolate room. Yeah. Mrs. TV says that, Oh, yeah, that's Rachmaninoff. Mm-hmm. She's wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's not Rachmaninoff. It is The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. <laughs> well, she was a, to be fair, she was a geography teacher, not a music teacher. So. Yeah. I think she's just trying to, like, act a bit more like high and mighty AI, where, where this, like, really high-end, rich family. When you look at, like, the salts and stuff like that. Yeah. She's trying to fit in with them, but, you yeah, know, that. She has no idea. No. <laughs> so in terms of a rating for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, what would you give this one? Oh, this movie will always have a five-star rating in my book because I love it so much and it's dear to me. Obviously, there's a lot of flaws in it with today's day and age, I guess. Um, but for the time that it was released, I think it was just, I don't know, I think it was very underrated and it's grown on a lot of people probably. And it's just become, like you said, like it has a cult following and almost everybody that you talk to has seen it at least once, if not more. So yeah, I, I love this movie and I adore it. Yeah. I, I think I would give this a five today. Like it's gone past that kind of gone past cult status now. Like it's just, it's a classic classic that everyone knows mm -hmm. so much so that it's actually been archived as well. I was going to say, is it in the, is it in the archives? Cause I feel like it, probably should be if it hadn't been. In 2014, it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry in the Library of Congress because it is culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So thankfully, it's a movie that like streaming platforms, they can drop it, but there'll always be a copy of it available for future generations. I like that. That's a good thing to know. Alrighty. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoy the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. Keep an eye out for our Wonka review next week. You can follow Karina on Instagram at Miss Karina Renee, and you can follow me on social media at Jamie Media and at Ario Magazine. The commentary booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.